of Jesus. We'll be focusing on this great idea this morning. We'll be starting with Matthew chapter 11. My mind goes back to uh, times when we would watch the cartoons, Charlie Brown cartoons. Those, those kids on Charlie Brown could be so cruel especially to Charlie Brown. So Charlie Brown was hoping there one October day that he had gotten a, an invitation to a Halloween party and Lucy, Lucy says to him, Charlie Brown, if you received an invitation, it would be a mistake. And she goes on to explain to Charlie Brown. She says, actually, there are two lists. List of those to invite and list of those not to invite. And she said, Charlie Brown, you're on that second list. And that made him feel just really good. Jesus, our Lord, invites us, and he invites us all to come to him for salvation. Look with me in Matthew chapter 11, beginning in verse 28. Matthew 11, beginning in verse 28, where the Lord says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our Lord Jesus asked us to do three things from this passage. Come, take, and learn. And we'll hang our thoughts on those three ideas this morning. Come, take, and learn. We'll begin with come, which is the most important. Come, come. Jesus says, come unto me. You see, it's, it's quite obvious we have a part in this salvation process. It's very true. It's very true that God has worked very hard and does work very hard in behalf of our salvation he has sent His love to the earth. He has sent His Son to the earth. He has sent His truth to the earth. He has preserved His truth for us. He has, he has uh, flooded us with enormous blessings and opportunities. Basically, all things are ready. The table has been set. And Jesus says, come unto me. We have a part in this great process. We read... For example, in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, that without faith it's impossible to be well-pleasing unto God. For he that comes to God, for he that comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. One time, John 5 verse 40, Jesus said to some of the Jewish leaders, he says, you cannot have this eternal life that you want. You cannot have this eternal life because you refuse to come to me. You refuse to come to me. And we'll look at one Old Testament verse in this regard. Isaiah 55 verse 7. Isaiah 55 and verse 7. Where the instruction there is. Let the wicked forsake his wickedness. Let the unrighteous person forsake his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. So that he can receive the compassions of the Lord and that he can be abundantly forgiven or pardoned uh, by the Lord. 
And so you see, we have a great part to play in this wonderful salvation that Jesus invites us uh, to be part of. Now, let's ask this question in regard to coming unto Jesus. Let's ask, let's ask this question. Who is the person? Who is the person who is ready to come to Jesus? Okay. How is it that I can be ready to come to Jesus? Okay, let's answer that question in this way. First, the one who is ready to come to Jesus has been convicted of his sin or her sin. Okay. They've been convicted of their sin. In other words, their, their wrongdoing bothers them in their conscience. It troubles their very soul. Look at verse 28 here in Matthew 11, what Jesus said. He said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. You see, the person ready to come to Jesus is laboring heavily under his own sin. Okay? And it is, it is crushing his soul. James speaks to this in James chapter 4, verses, verses 8 and 9, when he says, be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter uh, be turned to mourning. Let your joy be turned to heaviness. Humble yourselves on the side of the Lord, and then He will lift you up. You see, He's talking about being convicted uh, of your sin. Going back to Isaiah, not Isaiah, Psalm 32. Psalm 32. David is confessing his sin in Psalm 32 and verse number 4. Verse 4. And David says this He says, Lord, your hand was heavy upon me. Heavy upon me. You see, David's confessing his sin because he's been convicted of his sin. Psalm 32, verse 4. Coming back to Matthew 11, leading up to verse 28. If you look in Matthew 11, verses 20 to 24, Jesus had been rebuking, rebuking certain cities because they refused to repent. You see. It does us no good to turn to Jesus unless we've been convicted of our sin, unless we're troubled with our sin and we're willing to turn from that sin. I'm reminded of Jesus' story in Luke 18. Of the two that went to the temple to pray, the Pharisee and the publican, and we remember Jesus points out the publican over in the corner who would not hardly even lift his eyes up to heaven, but rather he prayed, he prayed, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that is reminiscent of Paul's statement in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15, where Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. So the one who is ready to come to Jesus is the one who is convicted of sin. Going back for just a minute to the temple there, Jesus gives that story about the temple. The Pharisee and the publican going there to pray. The Pharisee praying, he was not convicted of his sin at all. He told the Lord, he said, Lord, I fast twice in the week. Okay. I give, I give tithes of all that I possess. Okay? I'm not as other people. 
And the Pharisee in Jesus' story is to be condemned. But the publican is the one who is doing right because he's convicted of his sin. And so the one who is ready to come to Jesus, of course, is convicted of his sin. But also the one ready to come to Jesus is convinced that Jesus is the way, the only way. He's convinced that Jesus is the only way. Look in Matthew 11 again in our invitation verses, verses 28 and 29. Notice the personal pronouns there. Jesus will say, come unto me, come unto me. And Jesus will say, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take, take my yoke upon you. You see, the Lord is emphasizing that there is no other person. There is no other way other than uh, coming through Him. We must come to Him and be convinced that He is the way. Look here in Matthew 11 as, as Jesus is speaking. And notice especially verse number 27, what He says in verse 27. He says, All things have been handed over to Me by My Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. Notice that Jesus is consolidating. Notice how He says that He and the Father are one like uh, nobody else, like none other. Okay. And so it's very plain when you read Matthew's account of Jesus and His life that He promotes Jesus as the only one. Okay. And for us to get ready to come to Jesus, we must be convicted of our sin, but we also must be convinced of the Savior. Back in Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus said that He is the one that fulfills all Scripture. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, it says the crowds were astonished at His teaching. So Jesus is the fulfillment of Scripture. Jesus is the master teacher. And then you go into Matthew 8, Jesus calms a storm. Also in Matthew 8, Jesus heals a centurion servant. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus heals a lame man. Okay. You keep reading through Matthew, like Matthew 12, Jesus cast out demons. Matthew 13, Jesus gives the parables of the kingdom. And then before long, Jesus begins to talk about His church. Matthew chapter 16. And then in Matthew 16, 21, He talks about how that He will soon be delivered unto the rulers of the of Jerusalem and Judea, and he will be killed, he'll be crucified on the third day, he will be raised up. On and on and over and over again, Matthew presents Jesus as the only way, the only one. If we're going to come to Jesus, and I'm talking about in a sincere, faithful way, it begins by being convicted of our sins. And then secondly, be convinced that Jesus is the only way. And then thirdly, we must have a concern for our soul. We must, we must want that rest that Jesus promises here in Matthew 11. When He says, come unto Me and I'll give you rest unto your souls, we must be concerned for our soul. Now, the rest, R-E-S-T, that Jesus, that Jesus provides is simply amazing. We'll just try to sum it up here. He provides rest from the penalty of sin. He provides rest from the penalty of sin. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. That's how you, how you describe death. Well, it's wages. 
The one thing we know is that the one thing we earn in life is death. Okay. Now, the goodness that God brings our way, we are undeserving of all the goodness. Undeserving of it. One thing we do deserve is death. Okay. But Jesus can deliver us. He can give us rest from that penalty of sin. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Jesus can give us rest from the pollution of sin as well. He gives us rest from the pollution of sin. 2 Corinthians 7 verse 1 talks about being defiled both in your flesh and spirit, both in thought and in action, we can be defiled before God. And some are walking around with some thoughts about others that should not be in their hearts whatsoever. They're going to lose their soul over it. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying here. He can give us rest from the defilement. He can give us rest from the pollution of sin. He can also provide rest from the power of sin. When we obey Christ, according to Romans 6 and 17, when we obey Christ, we come out from being servants of sin because we obey that pattern of teaching, and then we're made servants of righteousness, being free from sin, free from that power of sin, free from being servants of sin, then God makes us servants of righteousness. Jesus can give us rest from the penalty of sin, the pollution of sin, but also from the power of sin and, and also from the presence of sin. According to Hebrews chapter 8, verses 11 and 12, we understand that when God forgives our sins, He remembers them no more from the presence of sin. So let's think about the first part here. Jesus asked us to come unto Him. Who is the person ready to come? the one convicted of their sin, the one convinced that Jesus is the Son of God, and the one who is concerned for their soul. What can Jesus do for our soul? Jesus can give us rest from the power, the pollution, the presence, and the penalty of sin. We are spending more time on this first idea because if we don't get the first Ideal, then none of the rest of the invitation to Jesus will make sense to us. And each of us, any of us, whether sitting here or anyone driving down the road today, anyone anywhere can enjoy this rest for our soul if we first will be convicted of our sin, be convinced that Jesus is the way, and then come to Him in obedience. This is precisely what happened on the day of Pentecost. If you look at Peter's words in Acts 2 and 36, when Peter said, Let all the house of Israel know that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. And so they needed to be convinced that Jesus is the one. And then it says in Acts 2.37 that they were they were convicted in their heart. They were pricked in their heart. You see, Peter says, you crucified your Messiah. And it pricked them in their heart. And they said, what shall we do? You see, 
They're interested in this rest, this peace that comes from God. Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see there? Don't you see? That's the invitation of Jesus. Don't, don't you see that anyone in the whole world, anyone walking around, everyone actually needs to hear this very important message. This is important. This first part's important also because it's possible to be a false convert. It's, it's possible to be, to be thinking that you're following Christ when you're really not, you see. If someone comes to church, if someone comes to Christ on any other basis, on any other thoughts other than what we have just discussed right here, okay? Other than what we have just discussed, not because we're discussing it, because it's right here, okay? Not because, you know, you could say it better than I could say it, okay? There will be people that will come along after me and say it better than I can say it. There's a lot of people, can, but it's here in the Word. It's not about who's saying it. It's right here in the Word. Okay. If, we, if someone attempts to come to our Lord on any other basis, on any other premise, on any other thought other than conviction, conviction, and then a cleansing of our sin, then it's all for naught. It's all for nothing. Okay? It's useless. See. We need to stop and examine ourselves. What, what made me come this way? What made me come to Christ in the first place? Was it some kind of social thing? Okay. Was it to get somebody off my back? Was it just to check off a list? Just to get that out of the way? Or was I, was I truly penitent? Have I been convicted? Did, do I know that it hurt God? That my one sin, my one my one stray thought damages my relationship with God and, and grieves Him at His heart. A big difference in simply being around religious people and being convicted and convinced of our Savior. If we're not convicted and convinced, then we're just piling up knowledge. We're just piling up knowledge. I've got a nephew who's in medical school in Birmingham. And he was telling us the other day that the most important class he took was chemistry in high school. And he was able to do private sessions, private tutoring sessions with his chemistry teacher away from the classroom. He says, now, for medical school, it's hard. But he credits that one chemistry class because that's the way knowledge is. Knowledge is built. Knowledge is, you know, being, having Bible knowledge, being educated in the Bible is good. It's foundational for us, of course. Peter says, 2 Peter 3, 18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord. Yes, but it will do us no good unless it's built on top of important Ideas and it begins right here, and it doesn't just begin right here with conviction and convincing. But you keep that in mind because because we're all sinners and we we we're in need of Jesus every day. 
Even after we, we initially come to Jesus, we, we still need him. So Jesus says, first, you've got to come unto me. Come unto me. And then second, he says, you've got to take my yoke. You've got to take my yoke. Now, the reason we can take it is because he's willing to give it. Please understand, Jesus says, I will give you rest. That's the grace of God in action. We read in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that salvation is not of ourselves, it's the gift of God. Jesus is willing to give this. That's why we can take his yoke. Yoke. Now, taking the yoke means work. It means work and responsibility. And you know what a yoke is. This is from more ancient times, but it was about plowing a field. It was about taking oxen or some other kind of animal that would be able to pull the plow. There, you have this, uh, this beam that goes across and then these little bow-shaped leather straps. And so you, you're able to strap the animals in. And when you strapped them in, they were to pull the plow so you could plow the ground or clear the ground. Okay. He says, take the yoke. When he says, take the yoke, it means you're now ready to work. You have responsibility. And it is to be an automatic transformation. As we were mentioning from Romans 6, 17 and 18 a moment ago, we go from being servants of sin to servants of righteousness. Someone doesn't need to, to come and be baptized into Christ and then later understand, oh, I'm supposed to do something now? You know, we don't sneak people into the church. We, we let them know, here's Jesus' will. This is the will of Christ. Once you come to him in submission, now you are to become a servant just like him. You to go to work for him. So taking the yoke means work responsibility. But also taking the yoke means commitment. Okay? Take my yoke upon you. Okay? Place Place that plow upon you. Okay. Place that contraption upon you. Okay. You're now strapped in. And where are you going? You're going nowhere. You are strapped in. Come what may. Whether it's rough ground, whether it's muddy ground, whatever is ahead of you, okay. whoever is beside you, come what may, you are now strapped in. It means commitment. But it also means Taking the yoke also means to relax in Jesus' case, to be able to relax. See, in Jesus' day, they were accustomed to taskmasters. They were accustomed to bosses who could be kind of rough. I'm reminded of going way back to Exodus 1 where the Egyptians became rough taskmasters over the Israelites. Piled and piled and piled the work on them and made it impossible for them, and they cried out to God. And so Jesus is saying, look, I'm your taskmaster here, and I am meek and lowly in heart. I am gentle. I am gentle. You don't have to worry about that. Relax. Relax. You can also relax because your burden is light. Your burden is light. Okay. Especially when you compare it to the alternative. 
If you compare it to a life of sin, a life of worldliness, and what that will bring you, then my burden is light. You know, there's yokes everywhere. You just decide what yoke you want to put on. There's yokes everywhere. Some people serve the yoke of alcohol. Some people serve the yoke of greed. Okay. Some people serve the yoke of, of selfishness. Okay. Some people serve the yoke of worry and anxiousness. Okay. We just decide which yoke we want to put on. When you put on the yoke of Christ, okay. there's going to be burdens. But he says, my burden is light, especially compared... You want to compare it to the world, compare it to the consequences of sins, compare it to eternity, and you'll see that Jesus' burden is light. We can relax. Relax also because that yoke is a perfect fit. My Jesus knows what I need, the song says. My Jesus knows what I need. He satisfies and my every need supplies. He knows what we need. When we come to Him, He'll provide us exactly what we need. The first thing we need is freedom from guilt. The second thing we need is a freedom from the fear of death. And then we need to know what to do with our life while we're alive. And Jesus provides all three of those things. He knows exactly what we need. The first thing He asks us to do is to come unto Him. Secondly, he asks us to take the yoke. And thirdly, he says, learn of me. That's what we've been doing, really. We've been learning from Jesus, just looking at his words, what he has shared with us. We've been learning about him. We, we continue to learn how to serve him. But it begins with that commitment, right? We're strapped in. We're strapped in. We're not going to know everything when we begin. It is similar, it is similar to marriage. Okay. Which one of you, when you said, I do, understood all that marriage involves? Okay. Now you may have known something about marriage. You may have watched your mom and dad be married. You may have read a little bit about it on marriage. But when you say, I do, you don't have a clue what's ahead of you. And every day you get up and you say, oh, is this involved in the I do also? Okay. And then the next day, oh, this also is involved in the I do. I didn't know that. But you learn as you go. We come to Jesus, we don't have to know it all. Just some basic knowledge and then be willing to grow, willing to learn, and willing to trust Him. This song... We often sing, it's meaningful to me, especially in regard to Jesus' invitation, just as I am. Because we come not on the basis of, of who we are, not on the basis of, of anything that we have done, not on the basis of anything that we possess, or we happen to be experiencing, not on the basis of any opportunities that has come out, have come our way, but purely on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. Let me read to you from Just As I Am. Just as I am, 
without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me. And that thou biddest me to come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. As we get ready to extend the invitation, please think about those last few words. That thou biddest me to come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. That thy blood was shed for me, I come. That you would want me to come, O Lord, I come. In just a few minutes, we'll be gathering around the communion table, as we do every first day of the week. We're remembering that Jesus took our place, wages of sin is death, but he was willing to take on those, those consequences. He's willing to pay the price, pay the penalty, endure the consequences of sin. But also he shed his blood so that we could be cleansed. You see, he wants us to come. He, is, he, is, he has done the work on the cross so that we can come. And we invite you to come right now as we stand together, as we sing.